Oh, hi guys. Didn't see you there. Just, just give me one second. I've just got an important passage that I've got to highlight in this book. I mean, we all do that, right? You see an important passage in a book that you're reading that you want to remember for later, and you use, you break out the highlighter, which you have ready to hand. When you're doing your important research reading, I presume, I mean, we're all hardcore researchers, we like to remember what we've read, right? Well, welcome to Solutions Watch. Of course, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and as you know by now, sometimes we look at the very big-picture solutions about protests and changing the monetary system of the planet and other such things. Sometimes we look at the very, very, very small, granular changes that can be made in our daily habits that make a big, a surprisingly big difference. And as I say, for any actual researchers in the crowd who do actually do reading for research, I would hope that you, well, I mean, I don't know how your mind works, but for my mind, I need to highlight as I'm reading important research materials so that later on I can go back and not only skim through and find the important bits that I've highlighted before so that I can compile those notes into broader sections that can then be woven into the fabric of a documentary or a podcast, but I found also that when I'm reading with the highlighter in hand, I tend to read more carefully, more critically, think a little bit harder about what it is I'm reading, and retain more. Just the act of highlighting, I think, helps me to retain what it is that I'm highlighting. Oh, that's an important passage, I better remember that for later. And just the act of doing that, at least for me, is extremely helpful in retaining material as well as comprehending and reading carefully. Of course, as I say, any researcher worth his salt probably has some sort of system. It might not be a highlighter, maybe you take marginal notes, whatever it is, but if you go through my, the books on my bookshelf that you've seen many, many times in the background of my videos, you'll find them full of highlights all over the place of things that I found were important. But here's an idea for you today. Have you ever thought about online highlighting while you research things on your device? It doesn't sound like a big idea, I know, but it is. <laughs> and I speak from experience because I have recently taken up the habit of highlighting material that I'm reading online, and I can personally attest to the fact that it has utterly transformed and revolutionized my online reading and research. But you don't want to hear me blabbing on about this. Let's head on over to the desktop so that I can tell you all about it. In fact, I can show you all about it. The first thing you're going to need to do is to install a highlighting extension or add-on to your browser. If you don't know about add-ons or extensions for browsers, you should familiarize yourself with them. They can be very handy for, for example, protecting your online privacy, or at least buffering, buffing up your online privacy, or adding interesting features to your browser. So in this case, let's take a look at the desktop. Here I am on Firefox today. I use different browsers and different occasions, but today we'll use Firefox. And uh, you can see I've got a number of extensions installed, ad blocker and video download helper and ghostery and no script and all sorts of things. But today we're going to be using the highlighter and notes add-on. Uh, I'm not particularly endorsing this add-on, uh, so use whatever one you like in whatever browser you're using. Uh, you can always, of course, just search for 
highlighter add-ons and you will get a list of an extensive list generally of add-ons and extensions that you can add to start highlighting things that you're reading online. And let's just take an example of how it works. So here I am at feedly.com where I'm subscribed to dozens and dozens of different RSS feeds from all sorts of outlets, MSM and alt media and op-eds and what have you. And so I've got my list of 119 at the moment uh, articles that I have in my queue waiting to be read. I'm not going to read every single one of them, but I am going to go through and select the ones that I think are interesting and uh, read them. So today, let's uh, let's start with antiwar.com. They generally their news articles are generally short, sweet, to the point, no uh, no frills, just the information. So uh, let's take a look. This one looks like it could be interesting. Ukraine's videos of captured Russian troops could violate Gen Geneva Convention. I believe I read something about that in the MSM just the other day. But let's take a look over at antiwar.com and see what they have to say about it. In this case, we are going to, uh, after a moment of searching and thinking, it's going to bring me up uh, this article from Dave DeCamp, who, uh, as you will remember from my questions for Corbett, has been doing a lot of work on this subject over at antiwar.com. Uh, Ukraine's videos of captured Russian troops could violate Geneva Convention. Ukrainian authorities have been sharing videos of what they say are captured Russian soldiers calling their relatives and repenting for invading Ukraine, raising questions about possible violations of the Geneva Convention. In one incident on March 4th, 10 Russian soldiers lined up, da-da-da, blah-blah-blah. Right? Yeah, okay. Oh, all right, next article. No! No, don't do that. Don't give in to the tendency of online reading, which is to read the first paragraph, read the read the headline, maybe read the first paragraph, and I get the gist, and move on to the next thing, because there's always something more interesting just one click away on the net, right? Well, don't give in to that tendency. Instead, if you really want to maximize the research capabilities of what it is that you are reading, the, the real potential for this, use a highlighter. So, in this case, we're going to turn on the highlighter. And once that's on, now we can start highlighting things in this article. So Ukraine authorities have been sharing videos of what they say are captured Russian soldiers, calling their relatives and repenting for invading Ukraine, raising questions about possible violations of the Geneva Convention. Well, that seems the operative part of this. So in one incident on March 4th, 10 Russian soldiers were lined up at a press conference in Kiev, Kiev, and were told to give their names to the cameras. According to AFP, the press conference was organized by Ukraine's SBU intelligence service. Interesting. Okay. In other instances, what are purported to be Russian soldiers were purported to be Russian soldiers. That that's an important phrase. Were filmed breaking down and crying as they spoke with family members by phone. The footage isn't verified. The footage isn't verified, and in some cases, it's impossible to know if they're really Russian soldiers. But if but the videos have prompted some human rights organizations to warn Ukraine about violations of the Geneva Convention. Article 13 of the Geneva Convention reads, prisoners of war must at all times be protected, particularly against acts of violence or intimidation and against insults and public curiosity. The ICRC uh, released a statement after the March 4th press conference, prisoners of war and detained civilians must be treated with dignity, adding that prisoners are absolutely protected against ill treatment and exposure to public curiosity, including images circulating publicly on social media. On Monday, Amnesty International said prisoners of war in Ukraine must be protected from public curiosity under the Geneva Convention. As the conflict continues, it is essential that all parties to the conflict fully respect the rights of prisoners of war, Joanne Mariner. Any public appearances can put prisoners of war at risk when they are returned to their home country and also prove problematic for their families whilst they're detained. Yeah, that's, yeah, 
That's that's a pretty good, succinct explanation of why Article uh, 13 exists, right? Ukraine's military command has said that 200 Russian prisoners of war have been captured since the invasion started on February 24th, but the number is not confirmed. All right, so I've just read through every single word of this article, and I've picked up on the certain things that I think are interesting and that I might want to note for later. And so what do I do with this once I've got it? I command S, of course. And I'm going to save this. So in this case, let's go up to my geopolitics and we'll go down to Ukraine crisis 2022 and save. All right. Now I've got the article saved on my hard drive. Boom. Anytime I need it, I can pull it up. And when I pull it up, at least in the Firefox browser at this point, um, then it will have these highlights retained. So I'll be able to go back and remember, oh yeah, in that article, oh yeah, oh, the, the SBU, Intelligence Service, or Article 13, if I need to remember, uh, what's that part of the Geneva Convention? Oh, article 13. I already am starting to form the, the, the I can see the, the synapses firing in my brain, the memories are starting to form, Article 13, Geneva Convention, okay, uh, protect prisoners from uh, public curiosity, okay, get it, it's slotting in there. So this, I know it doesn't seem like much, but what you have just witnessed, I think, is important. Um, I can say, at least for myself, for my own personal experience, that I have increased not just not just my uh, retention, not just my understanding, but the actual reading. I have I am doing much much more reading online and in a more thoroughgoing manner than I was before I got into the habit of using the online highlighter. Case in point, I recently saw this. Uh, question and answer this uh, interview from Politico magazine. So obviously coming from a propaganda perspective, I think we understand that, right? Yes, he would. Fiona Hill on Putin and nukes. And so this is about uh, Fiona Hill, who you'll, you'll see, I've already saved and highlighted uh, this article. Um, Fiona Hill, one of America's most clear-eyed Russian experts, someone who has studied Putin for decades, worked in both Republican and Democratic administrations, and has a reputation for truth-telling. <laughs> I hope when people refer to me, they say that. He has a reputation for truth-telling. <laughs> Earned when she testified during impeachment hearings for her former boss. President Donald Trump, of course. All right. So anyway, so we know there's definitely a slant and a perspective coming here, right? And if you are just, if you click on this because, oh, you thought something from this catches your eye, I think it might be interesting. But then you click through to it and you see, well, actually, the, the interview doesn't even start till here, several paragraphs down. And that is a very, 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 very long interview, especially when reading online on a device. I don't know about you, but my eyes tend to glaze over after the first few paragraphs. This is many, many paragraphs. But as you can see, I have read through this entire article top to bottom and thought about everything that she was saying. And uh, is that important? And do I want to highlight that? What do I want to retain for, the, for later on? And there's a lot of information in here that I, turns out I do want to retain, even though, yes, obviously this is coming from a certain propaganda perspective. It is still, it still in, contains some useful nuggets, some things that I don't know if I'll ever use again, but just learning about the Sanjak of Novi Pazar in the Balkans. <laughs> I don't know. I find that interesting. <laughs> I don't know about you. But also there's, of course, uh, a lot of um, talk about uh, Putin's strategy and, and from a Western perspective, from the perspective of someone essentially who's saying we ignored all these warnings and we 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 didn't think too deeply about this pushing forward with NATO, blah blah blah. Anyway, there's a lot of useful nuggets in here, but I 
can tell you, I can certify that before I started the, pro the practice of online highlighting, I probably would have read the first few paragraphs of this, maybe skipped to the, the Q&A, read a few of the questions, gotten the sense of it, and skipped on to the next article. But no, 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 not anymore. I read all the way through, even lengthy articles. In fact, lengthier articles than this. <laughs> if I'm reading Ian Davis or Whitney Webb or some of these writers, obviously these are huge articles and I read them top to bottom and, and highlight and really retain a lot more from them. And I'm glad I did in this particular case because actually it's, uh, there's some interesting, as I say, there's interesting nuggets here, but it isn't until far down in the article that it starts to get really interesting. And uh, they start talking about the international response that's going to be needed to this uh, aggression by Russia. And uh, the interviewer is asking her, you mean larger than NATO? And she says, oh, it has to be larger than NATO. Now, I'm not saying that that means an international military response that's larger than NATO, but the pushback has to be international. And they go on to discuss that at some length. But um, then they start talking about, well, if not military, then what? And the interviewer asks, I gather you think that sanctions leveled by the government are inadequate to address this much larger threat. And Fiona Hill replies, absolutely. Sanctions are not going to be enough. You need to have a major international response where governments decide on their own accord that they can't do business with Russia for a period of time until this is resolved. Yeah, of their own accord. There's no pressure, guys. Just you better do it if you know what's right. We need a temporary suspension of business activity with Russia. Now, this, this Q&A was published on the 28th of February, so before a lot of the sanctions had really kicked in. So we've seen over the past week, this, this is exactly what's happening. The temporary, temporary, question mark, suspension of business activity with Russia. And oh, by the way, the market's going haywire, uh, oil and gas prices potentially going through the roof. Wheat prices already starting to spike. Uh, some major, major economic turmoil about to happen here. Already happening. Um, but this is this is what stuck out to me. And this is why I'm so glad I read down to the almost the very, very bottom of this very, very voluminous Q&A. Because this was an interesting, very, very telling little nugget here. So the, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the interviewer is essentially saying, so, okay, so this is going to be of their own accord, but not a government-led thing. So he's saying, so ordinary companies, dot, dot, dot. And Hill responds, ordinary companies should make a decision. This is the epitome of ESG that companies are saying is their priority right now upholding standards of good environmental, social, and corporate governance. Just like people didn't want their money invested in South Africa during apartheid, do you really want to have your money invested in Russia during Russia's brutal invasion and subjugation and carving out of, up of Ukraine? And then she goes on to say, if Western companies, their pension plans or mutual funds are invested in Russia, they should pull out. Any people who are sitting on the boards of major Russian companies should resign immediately. Not every Russian company is tied to the Kremlin, but many major Russian companies absolutely are, and everyone knows it. All right, so it gets pretty, pretty intense pretty quickly here, but... The point that jumped out to me, and again, the reason I'm glad I kept, persisted with this article, the, the, the invocation of ESG in this paradigm of, okay, so suddenly there's this new cause, the, the cause celeb that everyone has to be on board with, but we don't want some sort of governmental, top-down, tyrannical sort of thing sanctioning, well, you can't do business with this and you have to... Oh, you, there's a there's a, someone who speaks Russian who works for your company. That's it. Fire him. <laughs> I mean, that's that's obviously tyrannical. That's an overreach. But so, what do we do about ordinary companies? 
Oh, ESG. And so for people who don't know, I've talked about it several times now, but I don't think people understand. In fact, there was recently an article up on Technocracy News that I'll I'll link to uh, where Patrick Wood was talking about this. ESG, an easy way to think about it, and I'm glad Patrick Wood put it in these terms because it is, it is essentially what it is. It's a corporate uh, social credit score. So ESG, environmental, social, and corporate governance, are is this new metric by which corporations and big international ventures and f- uh, financial institutions and what have you are going to be measured. And they will be awarded points or whatever it is um, based on essentially good behavior. Oh, they, they're, they're good to the environment. Oh, they have good social policies. Oh, they have good corporate governance. But what does that mean? How does that work? And here is Fiona Hill showing you exactly how that will work. Okay, the new cause is hate Russia. So will, will, this is the epitome of ESG that companies are saying is their priority right now. Just like people didn't want their money invested in South Africa during apartheid, do you really want to have your money invested in Russia? Yeah, exactly equivalent, isn't it? But this is it. So how does this work? So a company that, for example, is doing business with a Russian-controlled company can then have their ESG metric, their score, downgraded. And what does that do? Essentially, it obviously signals to all the businesses that are doing business with that business, oh, oh, this is a bad person or a bad corporate person in this case. We better we better divest of them. We better not have anything to do with them. And, of course, financial institutions that are thinking about where, where to direct their loan money that they're loaning into existence through the magic of uh, and wizardry of Wall Street. Well, you have you have a low ESG rating. So if I lend to you or if I invest in your company, that will lower my rating. So I better not go anywhere near you. You're toxic now because you have someone who visited Moscow once on on your board or whatever it is. But this is it. This is how it functions. This is the ultimate soft tyranny, non-governmental tyranny that is being put into place by who? Oh, of course, the World Economic Forum has its fingerprints all over this ESG. Don't worry, guys. We're going to create and help bring in this metric that will measure all these companies. And this is how they're going to uh, steward the $130 trillion funds that are being amassed by the uh, Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, the uh, GFANS of the world, are going to operate through this. How are you going to get the E part of your ESG score? You're going to be a good citizen. You're going to sell your natural resources to the right Vanguard and BlackRock representatives when they say to. And, you know, all of those things. You'll you'll go along with the financialization of nature. That makes you... That's a good environmental policy for you to have. This is how it works. They just have to control the standards. And these are completely arbitrary made-up standards of what counts as good corporate governance. I mean, yesterday, or last week or last month anyway, having a uh, tie to some sort of Russian company or Russian business was not, was not verboten. Well, this week it is. And so they can flip that switch and say, okay, if you don't divest of everything Russian, your ESG score is going to go down. Anyway, this was just one tiny little point that jumped out at me after having slogged through this very, very lengthy interview. Ah, okay. That that set a number of pieces in place in my head that I had floating around, but here's the perfect crystallization of it. Now I have this example in my back pocket. You better believe I'll pull it out during interviews and things when I'm trying to explain ESG and where this is going and why this is a big deal. And there it is. And now I have it burned into my memory. Um, not only because I read it and then 
thought to highlight it and then actually physically highlight it. But now also because I'm explaining it to you in the Solutions Watch, this is how this works. So anyway, as I say, this does not seem like a very big deal or a complicated thing. I guess it isn't complicated, but it is extremely helpful, at least for me, to transform and make the most possible use of my time online instead of just mindlessly scrolling around and picking up little factoids and tidbits and not really reading or thinking about anything. Now I am actively engaged in what I am reading and doing online, thinking about how this fits in with what I know and what I, oh, I, oh that's interesting. Oh, I'll highlight that. And then committing it to memory, saving it literally to my hard drive and moving on and putting the next piece uh, in play. Now I, I have a system that incorporates this highlighter that really has vastly expanded not only my, my uh, reading comprehension and retention, but also the, uh, the, the amount that I'm reading online has exploded. And it's not that I'm spending more time reading. It's just that I'm making better use of that time. So, as I say, your mileage will vary. I am not inside your brain. I don't know how your brain operates. But for me, this was an incredibly simple tool that was incredibly helpful in my re online research experience. So I just wanted to share it with you since this is Solutions Watch and it's all about sharing ideas for improving your life in the very big capital B ways and also the seemingly small, but perhaps in the long run, not so small ways. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this week's edition of Solutions Watch, but I will be back with you very shortly. I hope you will join me again. James Corbett, CorbettReport.com.